Welcome to the Red S Recovery Podcast. My name is Charlotte Gibbs and in this podcast I will discuss relative energy deficiency in sport, how it affects individual athletes and how recovery can be achieved. Hello everybody, welcome to a new episode. Uh, today I am joined by Haley Munn. Um, Haley is a really accomplished distance runner um, and a coach um, with a Masters in Exercise phys- Physiology. Uh, she herself has run a fabulous marathon time, as you'll hear in the interview. But unfortunately, she also has suffered from Red S, which she now realises was the case, um, and a really nasty stress fracture, which she's really struggling to get healed, um, as you'll hear from our conversation. Um, we go into quite a lot of detail in this podcast about her background, um, what it was like being a really talented young runner coming up through the British system. Um, We talk about why she chose to go to an academic university instead of to a sporting university and why she thinks that was such a good idea and why it was probably really healthy for her long term. Um, And then we talk a bit about her move to the marathon at quite a young age, um, why she did that and how it affected her and then how a combination of a not great relationship with food, um, overtraining, probably not the best coaching in the world led her to a situation which she now realises is actually red S um, and then finally how a calcaneous stress fracture forced her into taking the break she probably should have taken um, at least six months previously um, if not before then so it's a very interesting conversation particularly for those of you who are distance runners I think there'll be a lot for you to um, uh, um, resonate with in this conversation I should also say Haley herself is uh, works as a coach uh, she coaches for a company called Runners Connect um, who's quite well known particularly in America and if you go onto the Runners Connect website uh, you could sign up for coaching with her and I think particularly because she's a runner her Herself who has suffered from red ass and really understands the consequences of underfueling and overtraining, uh, she would definitely be somebody I would recommend uh, people who've had problems like this themselves go to for coaching um, because of her own ability to empathise with the things that uh, that you might also have been suffering. Um, So without further ado, um, here is my conversation with UK runner Hayley Munn. Hi Hayley, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Hi, good to be here. Great, well I thought we'd just jump in um, and let you kick off and tell us about your early experiences um, and how you started running and I think most importantly what your early um, experiences with food and exercise were like when you were um, a young girl. Yeah sure, Um, so I've been running a really long time. I started running when I was like uh, maybe like 12, 13 Um, just because I, I really enjoyed sports day at school um and I'd always been really active so um I went down to our local running club with my sister um and you know it it was all pretty like nothing too serious we played a lot of games we tried like long jump and high jump um and then as I got a bit older um 
I think when you turn 13, they move you into like specialist groups. And then I started to specialize in distance training. Um, and I don't remember anything too much about the first couple of years. I think I just gradually improved. Um, I do remember, because I think I, I developed quite early. I started my period quite early. Um, I do remember feeling a bit bigger than the other girls. I now sort of realized that, that was probably because they were just at an earlier stage of development for me. Um, and, but it was quite clear that they were beating me. Um, and then, I mean, I don't think, but I don't think I ever, I don't think initially any weight loss or dietary changes I made were in, with the intent of losing weight. What I remember is when I was sort of 15, um, I was quite stressed. I, my, I felt quite a lot of pressure to do well at school. I hated my school. I hated everything about it. Um, I really didn't like the other girls. I thought there was bullying. Um, and I just dreaded going. I'd actually not go quite often. Um, and I just remember it all being really stressful. And at the same time, uh, I remember my mother went on quite a lot of these funny, what she called detox diets, and she'd encourage me and my sister to kind of join in a bit um, and have some of the meals and foods that she cooked. Um, and for some reason, and I think another fact that I think played into my early kind of eating issues is that um, my aunt was very ill with cancer and I was really close to her. And something she did to try and uh, cure herself, because um, she'd been told it was terminal, she'd tried all the doctor's uh, treatments she adopted like this really healthy raw food diet and somehow as a 15 year old when you probably don't understand everything and everything's kind of stressful I got it in my head that if I was to eat unhealthy <laughs> I would get cancer so I remember starting to be really focused on like I wouldn't eat anything processed like I remember even if someone gave me like a sweet or a square of chocolate or even like gum that had like additives in it I just wouldn't eat it because I was so worried that I would get cancer so so I started to lose weight and like just as a natural consequence of the foods I was then eating like salad vegetable stuff chickpeas all the healthy stuff that I was eating just wasn't providing enough calories for uh, my my active running which wasn't excessive I don't think it was training I mean we had quite a good coach and he was keen on using heart rate and um we, it was never like excessive I don't think but being really active combined with basically like an adult detox diet for me like caused me to lose weight um and as I lost weight I did actually get faster and although that wasn't my intention and I remember like initially being a bit like upset by my weight loss like I wasn't trying to lose weight but I just could not make myself eat anything that would be kind of I guess like the sort of calorie dense foods I just couldn't make myself eat them because I just had it in my head that I would get cancer I'd also like to mention I suffered a lot from anxiety as a child so that and still now so that really played into that too um and then somewhere along the line of losing weight I even though I knew I needed to kind of regain it and I wouldn't say I ever lost a great deal of weight um but I was quite a muscular child so just being on like maybe like an 18 19 BMI was way too low for me um and somewhere along the line I did kind of start to almost enjoy the fact that I was getting faster and looking skinnier and that that just didn't help the whole thing although that was not initially my reason for the reason for me losing weight um it did seem to improve my running um although I know now that that would have been temporary it did and I had quite a lot of success as a, as a junior going to English schools um uh becoming like sick 
in the national championship for like 1500 meters, things like that. Um, and that, that was a consequence of the weight loss, I think, because, um, you know, it does help initially, but that wouldn't have been sustainable for me. Um, so when you were too, obviously you were a good athlete and yeah. you were in a training group. Did mm-hmm. you have any nutritional guidance in that group, considering that you were running, you know, being sixth at English schools, you were running at a really high level? Um, I mean, I can't remember a great deal of it. I know that our coach, he and he was a lovely guy, but he was he was an old older guy. Like, I mean, in my head, he's like eighty, but he probably was about fifty. Um, so he did try and give us like general guidelines, but I think it just wasn't his area of expertise either. And he definitely wasn't used to dealing with young girls. And um, I did used because we did have a girl in our group who was actually oh she was she she was definitely had gone down there losing weight to run faster and she did and she ended up running for England but she looked absolutely like skeletal like probably even though I had lost weight unhealthily she was like half my weight at the same size like she was close to being hospitalized which was not me which is why I was able to kind of go under the radar for so long I think because I was never like super skinny um I mean I probably had quite a low body fat but I wasn't if with clothes on (laughs) I wouldn't have looked underweight um and I seemed to be eating a lot, but it was just all like super healthy stuff that just wasn't providing me with enough calories. Um, so yeah, that's I think that's something that a lot of people say. It's the whole, you know, you feel like you're eating a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was I don't know if you've seen it, but it, there was a really good article in Fast Running, I think just yesterday, where um, Blaheen, who's a really good Irish um, younger runner, so I think she's in her early twenties, was talking about that perception of as a runner and you feel like you're eating a lot because you're eating more than non-runners who are around you but in reality it's still not sufficient to fuel your body and it can be a real it can really mess with your head can't it because you don't it's really hard to get that perspective right Mm -hmm, definitely yeah so so just to quickly come back to something you said about your your family um and your mum was on a detox diet um and your aunt well who was very ill had had taken on one of these sort of elimination diets um was there any context for you um where you were able to kind of look at the diets that they were on and think to yourself well I'm an athlete these might not be suitable for me or were you just very kind of attracted to the idea of these super healthy diets? Yeah, I think I, I almost felt like I had to do it. I mean, I've since had some sort of therapy for like health anxiety and I'm pretty sure that was driving a lot of it. Like I get these these thoughts that aren't rational, but at the time they seem rational. And I think it's very hard for people. I've always thought it must be so hard for people who don't experience health anxiety to understand. But at the time they just seem so real and it can be really distressing. Um as an example, like now I might, this sounds really silly, but um, I mean, I still suffer from health anxiety a lot now. And for example, I'll have a meal and somewhere in my mind, I'll become convinced that I've eaten something that was off. And I'll just think about that for the next few hours and um, like become absolutely convinced I'm going to get some kind of food poisoning. I know it sounds bizarre. And to me, when I'm thinking rationally, it sounds bizarre. But this is the sort of thing that health anxiety does to you. Mm. Um, And that was something that was really driving my behaviours at the time. Um, And in terms of it not being a suitable diet for an athlete, I don't think I had that much, um, you know, because my mum, who was doing this, she was also an athlete and she still is. And 
still to this day I do not know how she never gets injured maintains the normal body weight maintain it like well until recent menopause maintains a healthy menstrual cycle I do not know because she's now a vegan and I'm, there's just some people who can do it aren't there and I I was sort of basing stuff on her and she trains most days and she's a very high level I mean she's run well for her age um and I think she was ranked in the top sort of five in the country for her age at marathon um and I don't know how she does it um my whole family are vegetarian or vegan and I am the only meat eater and I don't know how they do it and I'm the one that gets injured it doesn't seem fair (laughs) that's no that's such an interesting observation and I don't think we know I mean the research doesn't seem to really be able to to tell why exactly the way you describe it some people can quote get away with it Mm -hmm. and they can suppress their body weight or or they have a set point if if that is a true thing which is lower than somebody else's might be and they're able to sit very happily at a lower BMI or a lower body fat and have no issues with it at all mm-hmm. and then there are those of us who maybe our bodies want to sit at a slightly higher BMI or, or fat percentage um, and as soon as we try and start suppressing it that's when we start getting these symptoms yeah. and that's what makes red S so tricky isn't it because as you say, there are these people who can get away with it. And it's really hard when you're comparing yourself to them. And I can imagine that's particularly hard if it's your yeah. mother. Oh, my God. But you know what? Two things have come to mind there. As you just said that one is I got away with it for 20 years. This is mm, my. So did I. Yeah. Um, so, you know, my mum started running about the same time as me. So maybe she's got it coming or. And, you know, also there's things we don't see. Right. Because I've since making this observation about my mom I've also noticed that she'll like sneak some cake like (laughs) quite often like she'll have this appearance of this super healthy vegan diet but then like in her car there's like some chocolate wrappers and so I guess we see what these people do but we don't really know what they actually do and you don't know what their mindset is yeah and the other thing is um in terms of me it doesn't seem to matter about my body weight because I once my periods returned, because um, uh, as I think I mentioned to you already, uh, I did kind of get myself out of this. Once my periods returned and my running was going really well and I had loads of energy, I actually kind of got to a slightly lower body weight than I was at. It was like when my body was healthy and functioning, it, it like and getting enough calories, it actually kind of be well, maybe not a lower body weight because I stopped weighing myself, but like looking leaner. I mean, it was almost like when my body was healthy, it would actually adopt a kind of uh, more kind of muscular lower body fat composition but when I have been in periods of reds I think my body I think I've heard this somewhere that it tries to sort of hang on to fat and that was <laughs> almost what was happening to me not the first time around but the second time around sorry I'm kind of rambling now please interrupt me <laughs> no no go ahead go ahead yeah um just making that observation that for me it was never it was never about weight when I say I lost weight during this first time, it was literally just maybe like just maybe like five pounds. Like, and I, I did not lose that much weight. Like, it was almost as if my body tried to stop me losing any more weight by sort of cutting all these things off um, because I did find that I was cold all the time. Um, this was between the ages of 15, 17, 18, when I was really suffering from what I think was like full-blown reds, which is a contrast to what I think was going on 
later. Um, I stopped having periods quite quickly and I didn't get another one till I was kind of 17, 18. Um, I got cold a lot. Um, I remember being, my moods were quite bad. Um, I don't remember any other symptoms really. Um, my performances continued to go quite well at that point. I think possibly because I wasn't actually doing that much training, my body could still kind of absorb it. Um, I, I didn't get any stress fractures and I didn't suffer any loss of bone density, which I realized is probably due to the good genetics that we mentioned. Um, and having just done it for a short amount of time, I also did weight training at the time, which I think kind of helped me there. Um, so I was able to continue this um, poor nutrition um, for, for a year or so. But I already had an awareness that not having periods wasn't healthy. I knew that, um, despite the fact the doctor told me that it was, which is just stupid. <laughs> and uh, I started trying to get them back on my own. Because I wanted to keep eating healthy, it took me a while. But I did basically fix it on my own, which actually feels quite surprising to me that I had that knowledge back then yeah. to, to do that. I don't even know where I picked it up. I think I've read some books which are probably not well known at the time. I can't even remember what they were. I've read it maybe in an article in Athletics Weekly actually that talked about the, uh, they were calling it the female athlete tribe then of course, but talked about how it wasn't healthy and I actually started taking steps on my own. Um, I still wanted to eat healthy and I it took me some time to get over that but I ate loads of nuts, loads of avocados, loads of uh, nut butter, um, loads of, like, I had to force myself to eat because obviously this healthy stuff is still so filling. Um, and I didn't decrease my exercise at all. Um, I actually increased it. But with the, uh, with the change I made to nutrition, um, and probably because my training wasn't that excessive at the time, I did eventually get my periods back. I'm sure if I had the knowledge I know I had now, I would have got them back quicker, uh, but I think that would have also been quite mentally challenging for me to suddenly change my diet to eating all this, well, <laughs> normal stuff. <laughs> but it sounds like you'd absorbed some some good information yeah. um, and that you were actually in a and healthy enough mindset that you were able to apply that to yourself. Yeah. Because I remember kind of myself when I was your age, I when I was that age, I probably saw the loss of period as like a badge of honour it was almost like, yeah, you're training hard enough. You've you've got there. You're an athlete. You've lost your period. And I don't think I would have been in a healthy enough mindset at all at that point in my life. Well, I wasn't to actually address it. This wrong. Like I just remember being absolutely terrified by the fact that I wasn't getting a period, which was very good of me if I say so myself, because the doctors were telling me I was fine. But in my yeah. head, no, Haley, this isn't right, because I knew that it was linked with stress fractures, and I was terrified of getting a stress fracture, like terrified, because I guess I knew that running really helped me mentally, and I just didn't, because this uh, girl I said about at my club, she, um, I'd seen what happened to her. Actually, I think that's probably a big factor in what helped me sort myself out, so I'd seen what happened to her, and she eventually just got stress factor after stress factor and I'm pretty sure she had to really give up I mean I don't really know where she's at now but I'm pretty sure she had to almost give up running because of her stress fractures so I was like I do not want this happen to me so I just like very gradually kind of got myself out of it I think it helped that my initial uh initial reason for doing it was health so when I thought that it was 
because in my head I was so convinced that eating a super healthy diet would protect me from all these diseases um because it wasn't so much about the weight loss although I did start quite liking the weight loss I'm ashamed to say um I was able to say to myself look this isn't healthy and because my main motivation for eating healthy in the first place was health I was quite able to kind of get myself out of it eventually Mm, that's really interesting um so in the meantime you were you were running you were putting down some really good times and you also I think you were you went to Loughborough University at this point didn't um, you which was obviously very sporty university um, okay that was my first university I was um about at the age 17 18 whenever you go to university um I studied physiology at Oxford that was my first degree right. um between the ages of well, whatever age you normally do a, a, a BSc, um, that was my first degree. So I was already really interested in physiology. Um, I'd always loved human biology at school um, and I got quite good grades in biology. So I was able to to go to university to study physiology. Um, yeah. And so did you run in, in Oxford? Were you part yeah, of the Oxford Athletic Club? I did. But um, I think my, my attitude to running became a lot healthier <laughs> because it was just such a fun environment. Um, I mean, I don't think it necessarily was healthy to so, in some ways because we'd often go out drinking after after run. Um, but in a way, although going out drinking after running, it's not a very healthy thing to do, really. It also did fully um, get my periods really regular because I was going out drinking, which adds all these calories. That does not sound healthy now, but for some reason it, it kind of, and I would not advise that, but I think it's more the foods you eat when you're out drinking and like the calorific foods there. My my obsessions with health um, really kind of um, just almost stopped because I was just having so much fun because the cross country team was so much fun there. Yeah. And I was captain um, and I just enjoyed it so much. The running took on a whole new meaning of like fun for me. And I did do OK. Um, my performances were a bit worse. Uh, because I because I probably was going out quite a lot not sleeping enough but actually the the relaxing about it and the eating less healthily was probably what my body needed um so I was able to have quite regular periods from then um yeah ever since um although I'm pretty sure at times I was still not completely healthy for some reason my body did not lose my cycle again yeah, no, that's that's fascinating. Um, and also, I guess you know, being in Oxford, because I know Oxford, I've, I've lived in Oxford for, for nearly 20 years now. Um, you know, you're in a college, you're probably eating college meals. You don't yeah. really have a choice what's put in front of you. Yeah. And you're surrounded by lots of people who are doing so many different things. It's quite yeah. hard to become obsessed. Yeah. When you're in a situation focus. like that. Yeah. And I had another focus um, with like the academic stuff as well, because it was uh, I hated school, but I loved university. So it was like a whole new focus for me. And I had friends, so I wasn't stressed anymore. Yeah. I was finally meeting people who I got on with and had a great group around me. Um, and I was just happier, um, at least for those three years. Things did start to go downhill in other ways after that. But for those three years, I was pretty happy and relaxed about running. I didn't run that well, but I was putting other because I was captain of the of the team and things I was kind of putting other people's running first and wasn't massively focused on my own running oh that's brilliant yeah no I can see that Mm -hmm. it was only after university that I sort of got more serious about it again and had some good performances and um uh, kind of took it on again myself really but I mean I was still training a lot like uh 
in university, but it was just more, it was always the group sessions with the, the running club and it was really fun. And I wouldn't even think about how much I was doing really because it was just so much fun. <laughs> Um, so if you were advising a young person now, say somebody who's 16, 17, coming into A-levels, um, a really good runner, you know, around the, the same level you were, you know, top 10 English schools, um, would you would you say to them, go to a more academic university if you've got the academics, rather than go to a sports focused university for your running? Yeah, most definitely, because I, I actually myself at that age wanted to, to go to like a more sporty university, but my parents were pushed me to kind of accept my um, place at Oxford. They were like, you've got the grades, um, you should really take up this opportunity. I'm so glad I did, because um, I think if you go to university where the focus is on sport, I've heard a lot of people say the environment can be kind of I'm sure this is not the case everywhere, but in certain places, I've heard people say the environment can be quite toxic mm. and it can become like a culture of under eating and weight loss, which is, you know what, this actually this did happen at Oxford as well. I know a lot of people on the team suffer from stress fractures and it amazed me how many, especially if the American athletes kind of came over with these eating disorders, but I was I was mates with the guys and they did not have these problems. So I was kind of shielded from it a bit. Like, because I ran with the guys, um, I I just hang out with them more and they did not have these problems. And so I, I was kind of shielded away from it. But I do remember the girls having issues. But I think I don't think the, the kind of culture there uh, made them worse. Um, mm. I actually remember we had some talks on like nutrition and things. And I think if anything, it, it probably helped them. Um, but they came with that attitude already there. Um I remember a lot of some of the other girls um, and, and I was friends with some of them, but I didn't necessarily train with them or um, they, they already had issues and they, uh, some of them would talk to me about the issues um, and I would try and help and whatever, but like um, I never knew what to say really. Um, and it, I think it was, I'm pretty sure I organized for some of these nutritionists and stuff to come in and talk to the team because I, I felt it was it was needed. My memory of that time is kind of a bit messed up, I think. But I I remember that we did have nutritionists come in to talk to us, and I think I organised that um, because I saw that some of these other girls had issues. But I did not think that the culture there was kind of making it worse. If anything, it was kind of helping it. Whereas they were coming into it with or with long-standing problems already. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas so so moving on then um when did you start when did you run your first marathon because you you ran quite a fast marathon yeah. quite young didn't you I was 23 I think wow um yeah like I wish I hadn't I wish I'd like waited. um but well, what made you do it my coach really and I was really really bad at short stuff um and I just feel like I felt I'd reached my potential at short stuff. I just could not get better. I was just, I had no speed. Um, just like, cause I can like basically double what I get in a half marathon in a marathon and not like lose any time. It's just. It's yeah, just, so can I actually. Yeah. And similarly just, have no speed. <laughs> it was just frustrating because I couldn't get any better at like 10K half marathon, 5K. Um, and I was terrible at 1500. I don't know why I managed to be okay at it when I was young. I think it's had like youngster speed or yeah. something. <laughs> I did. I am still no better at that, at like a mile, than I am when I was 15. <laughs> um, and yeah, so 
I I was seem quite durable like I never got injured um and this is still like my first big injury that I'm suffering now like in 20 years so like I mean but I do feel that my coach pushed me towards the marathon um and I sort of wish I had waited longer um but I mean I was just going on his knowledge and I sort of trust him a lot at that stage um and I know I was wrong to do that and many other people say the same but uh you don't know better maybe when you've got this person you look up to so so at this point you were you were at Loughborough were you because I know you went and did postgraduate work there oh that was later I that was later so I finished Oxford in 2012 I didn't do my master's till 2015 okay so I had three years in between where I worked in London doing um what I thought most people who um graduated from university and lived in London kind of did which is just stuff that I hated like I was a I was a data analyst for like a a clothing online clothing store um Mm. I hated it so much. Um, I, I think, I mean, I was in a really bad relationship at that time, which is another source of stress. And I almost, because he seemed to expect me to have like a normal job and earn a certain amount of money, I kind of felt trapped. Um, so that was what I did between kind of 2012 and 2015 until basically it all kind of fell apart in this relationship. I decided I hated my job. That's kind of falling apart as well because our boss was in big trouble for something. And I just like cracked, cracked. And I was like, that is it. I'm moving back in with my parents at this late age and um, I'm going to go back and do a master's because I just hate everything. <laughs> like my job, my relationship, hate it all. Um, hate lunches. Like. <laughs> so in the, min- in the midst of all this stress and relationship and work stress and everything, you ran a marathon. Well, I ran, they were my three best marathons. It is amazing to me wow. how I, in the midst of all this stress and like hating my life, <laughs> I ran my best three marathons including my pb um and i remember on the start line of my my pb marathon my who is now my ex-boyfriend um he had a lot of bad ways uh he actually rang me up a few minutes before the race and i can't really remember what he said to me but it must have been something horrible and he and he got me so upset that i was actually crying on the start line online on my way to my pb marathon and i do not know how i pulled it up wow. like I, and I remember, I remember he would get angry at me. Um, I would be so afraid he would get angry with me that I would get up super early to train before he was awake. Um, so, <laughs> so we should say here because you're too modest to say that your PB is pretty spectacular. You ran two thirty-seven. <laughs> yeah, when I was like majorly upset and anxious and depressed, I don't understand it. And now I'm actually in a super happy relationship, and I really like my job and. My running has been terrible. It doesn't make any sense. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were probably in a situation where you, you wanted to numb the emotions that you were feeling and you were able to push your body to that point where yeah. the numbing occurred and, and you, it probably felt good. Yeah, it did. And you know what? I think although it was an awful situation, it was very maybe very unhappy, there were elements of that situation for those three years that actually were really positive for me as a runner because – Although my job, I hated it, I sat down all day, um, which yeah. was really good because I think one of the problems that's contributed to my situation now is because I work from home, I walk around a lot. Like I walk my dog, I go out all the time. Whereas I was sitting down for like really long hours on a work day and that was getting me recovered. Um, I also, uh, my ex-boyfriend, he was really into kind of takeaways and pizza and unhealthy foods. So I was eating those too. And actually, although I think of that as, you, people might think of that as being bad it was actually giving me all the calories I needed so I was actually yeah. 
fueling myself well then, even though it was unhealthy stuff. In the end, I'm not really sure that matters if it's enough to some degree. No, <laughs> no, I think you're probably right. And you said um, you said to, on your notes to me that you ran that amazing time off of pretty low mileage. I mean, yeah. you said you were only running about 60 or 70 miles yeah, a week, yeah. which is really quite low for, yeah. for a top marathoner. Yeah, definitely. I... I and when I went into my first one, I'd never run longer than like 18 miles in training. Like it was just, it just seemed to be something that kind of worked well for me, not running very much. And now it seems stupid that I kind of changed that. But um, it's just looking back, I, I seem to be able to run really well with like mostly really low mileage, maybe a little more mileage towards the 70-ish going in the main peak marathon training but never really above that and never above like 20 miles in training um just to really more focus on quality less on quantity and that seemed to work really well for me and I wish I hadn't changed it (laughs) (laughs) okay so tell us how you changed it and when when things started to go wrong with your running yeah um so this was so my last PB was in 2015 and that was a good race but then after that um and you know, I'm amazed. So that was my half marathon PB. <laughs> and I'm actually amazed that I ran so well there. It seems that being really stressed mentally might work for me because a week before that, I'd actually broken up from this abusive relationship. I say abusive, not majorly, but emotionally. Um, and I'd actually uh, gone back home to live with my parents. I I was so down because for some reason, even though I knew the relationship was bad for me, it still, it was a massive change. I've been, been with this guy for five years. Um, I, which makes you think, why do you stay in these relationships when they're so bad? But there you go. Uh, I literally eat nothing but like ice cream for a week because I was so down. But again, that might have helped me. Um, and I ran like my half marathon PB, which I still got nowhere near. But then after that, everything went like majorly downhill. Um, I got like some pain, um, but it wasn't an injury because I had so many investigations. There was nothing wrong. Um, and this might sound strange, but in the end, um, I saw a psychologist about it. So it was like, um, like an almost sciatica type pain. But um, it was actually diagnosed eventually as coming from sort of psychological stress um, rather than anything physical. Um, because I had so many scans on like... Um, everything and so many tests and they could not find anything physically wrong with me so I did continue to run but I think I just felt like I needed some time to just process all the stuff that happened to me kind of emotionally and psychologically and kind of get to grips with moving back home um and the change and everything um so I didn't really run properly for kind of a couple of months but then I kind of picked it up again and I'm like I all this time since I've been like my first marathon and even before that I've been coached since university by a a guy a coach um and it was almost like he saw my good half marathon and marathon time and decided oh she can actually be really good she could maybe try and make teams or something and he ramped up my mileage like really dramatically like although I've been doing really well on like 60 to 70 he felt the need to like up it to like 80 90 mm. like more hard workouts like I remember we, we did like four hard workouts like I would never do that now um and like I trusted him like I felt awful and I just felt worse and worse I got slower and slower and this is between like 2015 and 2017 I got slower and slower worse and worse started feeling terrible still kept my period which kind of is quite surprising to me but I mean I was eating quite well um 
like since the early days of restricting, I'd actually uh, decided I really like like cake <laughs> and takeaways. So I was still eating quite well, and I kept my period. Although, and I've kept my period since. I haven't missed one since. So ah, I did miss them for a brief time when I had all the um, the stress of breaking up with my my ex boyfriend. I that led me to restrict for a really short period of time again, but I soon stopped that and everything was okay. So apart from like a six six month period, I have not stopped my menstrual cycle since that 15 to 18 age. But like I say, my running got worse and worse and worse. And um, 2017, I finally left this coach because I was like, he is killing me. <laughs> and he's blaming me for me getting worse because um, he wasn't aware. And, you know, since, this many others in the group have come out and said you're pushing too hard they've got injuries you know they've left too um so it wasn't just me he he didn't deal with things very well for me or other athletes um and um yeah I thought I could do it on my own but I just got worse and I think although I was training a lot more sensibly on my own and then I had some help from an American coach he was really great and um, this is 2017, 2019. I was training a lot more sensibly, but I think the damage was done. And really, after that period where he, this old coach, absolutely wrecked my body from 2015, 2017, I think I just need to just take some time off. And I never did because I don't mm-hmm. get injured. Well, I didn't until this point. So I never had some full time off. And I think my body just couldn't recover. And I, I just never recovered those performances. In fact, I still kept getting worse and worse and worse. Like, it was so distressing. I had so many blood tests to find out why, and nothing would come up. Um, And obviously, I had a massive awareness of red stem. But because I was having my menstrual cycles, I thought, oh, that can't be me. I eat so much. I eat loads of unhealthy foods now. I have menstrual cycles. Like, I don't have many of these other symptoms, but looking back, I think since 2015, since he upped all that training, I was just minorly underfueling, like maybe not enough mm-hmm. to, like, you know, I'm still not 100% sure, but I've had people say to me, yes, you can not stop having periods and you can have reds because... Absolutely, you can. Exactly. Yeah. So I think maybe that was it because the thing is, I did not, I did not restrict my eating and in fact I did eat a lot more than a normal person but I was still running 70 plus miles a week and even eating like a normal person you like eating more than a normal person as I did um and I met quite soon after moving back home actually probably it's not too soon because we have I'm still with him now um I met this great guy and moved in with him he's fantastic and so supportive complete opposite to my ex-boyfriend but the thing is we do eat quite healthy and probably that maybe didn't help as well um so even though I was trying to correct the overtraining I started eating quite healthy again um and then we did have some unhealthy stuff as well I'd say for for most people even runners it would be a very good diet but for someone running 70 80 miles a week maybe I needed more and maybe you know the thing is or maybe or maybe you were just very under recovered Mm, yeah because you said you, you you said that you were having problems with you know, rest days, yeah. or even when you knew mentally you probably needed a down week, you were struggling to give yeah, it to yourself. And um, it wasn't even anything to do so much with, I don't, it was, the the reason I did that is quite complicated, I think, and it's not like what people would think of as exercise addiction. When I really think about it, what it was is because of my job where I work from home, 
Um, it was a massive change to me from going into the office every day. My boyfriend works, he'll be away in the day, so I'll be on my own in the house. And the one thing I could do, that because I, obviously, being quite anxious, seeing and working at home on my own in the day can be horrible for me. And the one thing that kind of lifted my mood, made me feel better, um, was, and made me feel like I wasn't cooped up in the house, was getting out for a run. Um, and I would actually fear rest days and down weeks and weeks off because uh, uh, my head would go, oh my God, I'll be stuck in the house. Mentally, I won't be able to cope. I won't have any reason to leave the house. I won't see anyone. And I just panic about that, which I now realize there's so many other things I could have done, you know, <laughs> like I could have um, gone and done some strength training at the gym or I could have gone and worked in a coffee shop. But in my head, I just thought I need to run because I need to get out of the house. I can't like, it's almost like I felt like I needed to, I mean, the other thing about my job is it doesn't really offer as much work. I'm used to working very long hours, very intensely. And my job is quite relaxed, which is nice. But um, it's not what I, it's not me. I, because I feel like I need to work hard all the time. And not being able to work hard all the time, I'd sit in the house and think, what can I do? I, and I'd dread those hours of thinking, how can I be productive? How can I be productive? Well, I'll go for a run. And that sounds really silly, but that was what was sort of driving this. Um just needing to feel productive, needing to do something, needing to get out of the house and running being like my escape. And that's why I couldn't, um, I felt like I couldn't take a down week. Uh, and if, if my, I had a, a, another friend helping me at that point, he was really great and helpful. But when he'd suggested down week, I'd almost sort of talk him out of it. Like, oh, I don't feel I need a down week. Um, and, you know, I wasn't even training that hard then. So I'm not entirely sure I think it's hard to know what was going on and why I finally have got this stressing bone stress injury because I'd actually decided to take some time of just running easy like but it was probably just too little too late like I talked with this coach and we were just going to spend like six like six to eight weeks just running easy because and I was like two weeks one to two weeks into that but I think it was just like too late um mm. the damage had already been done um but, but it sounds like you you knew you, you you part of your brain kind of knew that you needed that break. Yeah. But because of the reasons which you described, which totally makes sense, mm. where you were at home and you you know you knew you relied on that release of yeah. getting out and everything like that, you just couldn't quite take yeah. the step mm. mm-hmm. to go right. I'm going to pull the plug on the running now, which is a really hard thing to do when you're mm. a lifetime runner. Yeah. No, I think that's completely understandable, but obviously easy to say from hindsight, isn't it? We all have a breaking point. Done differently now, like, and it's a shame because it was not anything psychological. If, well, it was something psychological. But if someone had said to me, "Look, if you do this, you will feel better. Your running will go better," I would have done it. But in my head, I was like, "Oh, but I'm having periods. I like, I'm." running really like easy because I was I took my easy run super easy and I only did like one or two hard workouts a week but I think the fact was that I'd never I don't think for the last sort of one or two years I was really overtraining but I think I'd never let my body recover from that time when I was overtraining um yeah and for the research that I've done on overtraining it does seem to be incredibly cumulative mm-hmm. um and and in and not you can't roll it back as easily so it rolls on and it becomes it's almost like compound interest but yeah. it's much harder than to roll that back yeah. because the further you go 
exactly. the harder it is. Yeah, and I think I've got myself to where I've got myself to the point where the only thing that would help my running go well again, help me feel like myself when running again, was to take like six months off. And mm. you know what? That's what I've got. Like, it's like <laughs> you get what you need. Like, I don't, if I. The, the thing that worries me about the stress fracture now is that it doesn't seem to be healing. If it did heal and in six months I was okay again, I would not regret this because I needed something to force me to take a break because otherwise I would not have done it. Um, so come back come back to the stress fracture then. Um, tell us exactly what happened. It was so weird because you talk, like, you hear people say, like, oh, I got worse and worse, the stress fracture, and, like, people kept running on it. That was not me. I... I, like I said, it was not in a high mileage phase. I was in actually an easy phase where I was just running easy. Um, I was running on trails. You know, I just decided I'm going to take some time to just run easy. Um, but, you know, I think I was just making excuses because, again, what I really needed was fully to take the time off, not to go, oh, I'll just run easy, but still run 60 to 70 miles a week. Um, so I was just on this run. And then I took this funny step and landed really funny. And like, so again, not like how you hear a stress fracture presenting. And I just got this pain like that felt like my Achilles had ruptured, <laughs> like just felt terrible. I just kind of limped back to the car. Um, and then I went home and I went in to see a physio as soon as possible and they said to me look can't really see anything wrong maybe you've like done some like minor damage to your Achilles or whatever you can run it's fine um so I did try and do another run and then I like eventually I just decided no there's something wrong I'm going back and I'm not going to run and in fact what I did was I referred myself for an MRI which you can uh, do at a place in London um so I just did the referral myself because I felt like the physio did not believe me um because I thought I've had tendon pains before this is not a tendon um well I think it did initially feel like a tendon so I understand why they got it wrong but I knew that something wasn't right because it was not exactly like a pain I felt before and it was actually starting to the point where it was making me limp when I was walking um and I so I got this MRI and then I got the result back to my email because I had referred myself which said I had a stress fracture in my heel like just below my Achilles which is why it felt like Achilles so then I was like kind of annoyed that the physio had like dismissed me so I booked like an emergency physio appointment and went like that afternoon I was like look look at this MRI look (laughs) I was right um and so uh, this is a different physio. I didn't want to go back to see the same lady who had just basically told me I was being ridiculous. <laughs> um, so like, he was like, yeah, yeah, it's stress fracture. Um, I was like, but it doesn't sound like a stress fracture because it was very sudden. He was like, yeah, it's still a stress fracture because like it could have been that the bone was just weakened and then that little step you did, it just sent it over the edge. So like I understood that, but it was still very weird to me because it was not how I'd heard stress fractures presenting, like, you know, with a sudden acute accident. But that's what, still what they say. So fine. Um, and like, obviously, I, I understand because the trip was not enough to fracture my heel. Mm-hmm. Um, it was quite a minor kind of trip. Um, so, yeah. Um, did they refer you for a DEXA scan at this point um, they did not I referred myself to a sports medical doctor I have spent thousands on this injury Um, they did not my GP did not Uh, I referred myself um, to a sports medical doctor he was very helpful he got me a load of blood tests done a DEX done everything was totally normal so again they were like why has this happened like do more and more blood tests which was really really bad for someone with health anxiety the one thing they say to people with anxiety is try to avoid blood tests like unless you really need them so I'm like sitting at home like I'm totally convinced I have cancer I have some 
liver or kidney disease that's like caused me to fracture my bone with this like seemingly insignificant incident out of interest was your dexa actually normal normal or was it within the range that they say is normal but we now know that if you have other red s symptoms it isn't normal so um in my hips it was 1.2 which i believe is quite okay good. in my spine yeah. it's minus 0.8 which they did say to me is like getting towards low and they kind of said um you have a very small frame so probably okay for you but you probably should look at doing like some upper body strength training because at this point I had done no strength training since being a teenager so um although it was borderline low they did not seem concerned and of course it is in the normal range um but Mm -hmm. I mean that's definitely something I'm going to be super careful of and I am going to have another one in two years just to check it hasn't gone below that uh into that osteopenia range um and obviously add in some kind of upper body strength stuff and um so like I say not like sports medicine doctor who I saw he's a uh, not really concerning but probably best to double check again in two years um and do some upper body strength work mm-hmm. um so yeah something I'll keep an eye on but not something they thought could have really contributed to the injury so in the meantime while you were going through all of this uh, medical workup and diagnosis yeah. were you cross training I actually had two weeks off of cross training initially because um now I realize I think this really wasn't long enough it you know it's the hard one for me because I think in in some people what I did might have worked and it might have been okay but for me maybe with the high cortisol levels from the overtraining and other things and the mental stress it did not work because the first two weeks I think I did everything great like I was on crutches completely no cost training um went back to see my physiotherapist he was the one actually dealing with my injury at this point all the blood tests have come out normal by the way um apart from a borderline low vitamin d um which is no surprise because I'm like given my health anxiety I'm obsessed with sunscreen um so that that was not a surprise and I did have some vitamin d prescribed for me uh two weeks later I went back to see the physio he was like okay you can stop using your crutches now and he took them away from me and I was like but it still hurts. Please give me them back. And he was like, no, I want to see you walk out of here. And I was like, but it hurts. And I actually rang him the next day. And I was like, please, it really hurts. I don't think it's right. He was like, well, try alternate days. Just keep trying to wean off your crutches. Now, and I realize I probably should have been on them for something more like six weeks. Um, because I don't think in two weeks it done any really significant healing at all. He also at that point told me, yeah, biking's good. Do biking. Um, biking hurts. <laughs> and I tried to tell him this. And he was like, no uh biking should be fine um that was a sports medicine doctor actually I tried to tell them biking hurt and they said biking should be fine because it's in my heel um and you use the front of your foot I don't think that's the case um I wish I hadn't even ever tried biking um but anyway between weeks two and six uh may actually two and ten I did a load of I would never say I cross-trained obsessively I never did more than like an hour a day um I think it was more a combination of things like introducing biking too soon um and I was doing pool running and swimming I don't know if that was okay for me or not but I'm not willing to take that chance and now I'm not cross training at all mm-hmm. um so yeah after so but I was trying to wean off the crutches but it really hurt so I was really struggling but 
I was trying because he said I had to. Uh, Ten weeks later, I said, look, I'm still struggling to walk around. Uh, He was like, no, you're fine. Like, you don't need another scan. I was like, I do. (laughs) I don't think something's something's not right. So I had another scan um, and it showed the stress fracture still looked exactly the same. Um, This is ten weeks in. Uh, And I mean, I don't, I'm still a little confused because I hear that MRIs can be less helpful. But I don't think it sounds good that it looked like exactly the same. Um, and obviously, I was still having issues with it. Um, and I was not able to run at all. There was cross-training by that point a lot. Um, so, and you were still having pain walking. Yeah. like after 10 weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually went to see... Um, I used my Bupa health insurance to see very quickly. I got in a couple of days, an actual foot and ankle surgeon guy, because I was thinking I probably should have seen like a, a specialist doctor initially, because it was quite a weird uh, incident. It was all a bit weird. Um, and honestly, he just said a boot and crutches for six weeks. Like you should have had them initially. Like they should not have been encouraging you to come off the crutches when you were still in pain. Um, and biking is totally out. You should not have done that for like, until it was healed really um Mm -hmm. because because it is in the back of it's under the achilles it's not the fact that you're putting the pressure on the heels it is from the pull on the achilles on the heel bone which is still going on when you're cycling and even pool running so like Mm -hmm. i'm just not taking any chances now for like five weeks i've had a boot and crutches um five weeks i've done absolutely no cross training and i've had some help from um uh, someone who who knows a lot about um, bone physiology, uh, and she looked at my diet, and um, you know I think it was a lot better by the time she looked at it. So I'm not, uh, I don't think anything was noticed there. But I will say that I think my biggest issues here were um, coming off the crutches when I didn't feel ready, <laughs> and he encouraging me to build up my walking when it was still hurting, like, um, and then. I also think biking should not have been done at all uh, because it still hurt. And I also think I did not help it because I was doing cross training and probably not. It's it's hard to say whether I was eating enough or not, but I definitely remember thinking, oh, I'm not I'm not training as much. I really shouldn't like have dessert or I really shouldn't um, have this extra helping of dinner, which are all things that when I was running, I would have done. And. The thing is, I was still cross-training, and I'm thinking, I don't know. It's really hard to know, but I'm thinking maybe I actually just worsened a bit of an energy deficit that was all, and worsened, like, uh, the energy deficit that was already there by trying to be super healthy just because I was not able to run um, because I well, was you, you probably you probably did because there is some evidence that um, a he- an injury, especially a fracture in a healing bone, is quite metabolically intensive in terms of energy use. So your metabolic rate was probably higher anyway with a healing bone. And then you were cross-training mm. and you were restricting your diet a little bit, and particularly with carbohydrate, carbohydrate restriction, so your energy availability would have been a bit lower. Mm. And even an energy availability, you know, even a, a deficit of like 100 calories can be enough. Mm-hmm to take away from the healing and I know that the evidence isn't amazing for this but anecdotally it seems to be pretty strong that people who are encouraged to cross train heavily in an early stage of um, particularly a stress fracture do heal more slowly yeah I, I and we're not told that 
Enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, if I ever get one of these again, <laughs> I'm not cross-training at all. Like it's your body saying, "Hey, I need a rest." <laughs> like why would you cross-train? I was, I'm really like, oh, why did they tell me to do it? I because the thing is with me, I often, even though I know stuff myself, I'm, I'm very good at doing exactly what I'm told. <laughs> so if someone tells me to do something, like the coach who overtrained me, like the physio who probably treated me wrongly, I'll do it because I, I have trust in these people and like um I do what they say because I think they know but sometimes I think now I'm just going to go with my instinct and do what I think I I would never have come off those crutches myself initially I think I needed six weeks on them like um and I think I needed a boot because I was never given one and I know that most people with stress fractures are given one if they're if it's in the foot absolutely I feel like knocking my foot a lot like um still you know it's hard to not put your foot down when you're crutching because crutching is really hard um like I would accidentally kind of put a foot down or like you know I don't think I was ever fully offloading it like it needed to or protecting it um and like and one thing with crutching around is even though I wasn't cross training those first two weeks I was like crutching everywhere and because you know I'm home on my own I have to sort everything out whilst on crutches have to still try and walk the dog um it's like I was probably expending way more energy than normal just trying to go around on crutches oh I- totally <laughs> trying to walk around in crutches is, is yeah. so hard isn't it <laughs> yeah oh and also that whole kind of being guided by your pain mm. you know for, for people who have a stress fracture or trying to heal a stress fracture you absolutely I mean, all the recovery protocols say that you should be guided by pain. And as soon as you feel pain, you should back off two steps of your progress. So they never should have been having you walking when you were saying that you were in pain. No way. Seems ridiculous now. It's like they were almost telling me to kind of build up my walking then. And like, and you know what? It was never terrible. It was like, it was not a terrible pain when walking. And they were saying, this is a stupid thing. It was like they almost forgot what I'd said initially because initially I was telling them it feels a bit like Achilles pain, but not. And then like, so like, like Achilles pain, but a bit different. And then into this period of reintroducing walking, I said to the physiotherapist, I've got, still got a bit of pain and he's like where is it and I was like I pointed to like just under my Achilles which is exactly where I pointed when I told him I had a stress fracture but he said oh no I think that's just your Achilles not your stress fracture like that seems stupid <laughs> because it, that was exactly where I was pointing when I first told him it hurt like but I was like okay uh it's just my Achilles now well, it was never my Achilles it was just still the pain of the stress fracture like it didn't make any sense it just the whole time almost felt like I wasn't really listening to Mm, that's so frustrating but it does sound like you're in the process now of getting to the point where you can let that that calcaneous stress pressure heal better um and hopefully when you do come back to running all this learning that you've accumulated will turn you into an even better runner than you were yeah yeah I really hope so I mean I feel like I've been doing everything right the healing now so I'll be really I mean I've got an MRI tomorrow which is five weeks in to kind of check on progress and to see you know but I'm still I'm a bit concerned about that because I've seen stuff about MRIs not really being that helpful and you know um but I'm sure he'll I mean he's 
ah, it's so hard for me to trust these people now, but um, he is, he's a, he's a foot and ankle uh, surgeon. So he's hopefully knows what he's doing, but I, ah, it's hard to trust these people now. <laughs> yeah. MRIs can be a little bit tricky, I think, as I've, I've learned because I've had quite a lot of stress fractures, sadly, <laughs> but I do know from my experience that quite often what the MRI is showing isn't for and and nobody's explained why this is but often it's not showing exactly what you're feeling at that time Mm -hmm. so I've gone and had an MRI on a stress fracture which I was having absolutely no pain from at all Mm -hmm. and they told me that's not healing Mm -hmm. and I've had the opposite I've had I've gone in and had like a lot of pain and they've looked at it and been like that looks completely healed yeah. So it can be very strange and, and I don't entirely understand. And I know that some of it is to do with the interpretation and the way they read the MRI and the angle that it's taken from and who actually is even looking mm-hmm. at it sometimes mm-hmm. can look at things completely differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know how kind of, you know, in terms of tracking healing, I think yeah. from my experience having like, I don't know, eight stress fractures mm-hmm. now, I think going by your own perception mm-hmm. of pain and discomfort is probably more realistic almost than relying on the MRI the MRI is a good guide yeah but I would always take how you're feeling and the pain you're feeling as as sort of the first way of understanding where your healing is yeah uh, hopefully they'll kind of take a lot of things into account and hopefully I'll be able to come off the crutches soon because I think I'll end up like breaking something else like my arm yeah. <laughs> like I feel like I've kind of become like a bodybuilder up top now <laughs> <laughs> the excess protein and the calories I'm eating along with all the crutching and my arms are actually looking muscly which has never ever happened to me before in my life so well that's probably no bad thing I mean all of that that because muscle is very metabolically active as well yeah. so that's going to help you long term definitely mm-hmm. oh well I it sounds like you've really been through the ringer with um with some of this and it's it's horrible but really really hope that um, you know your MRI tomorrow goes well and that you're going to be able to come off of that boot and off the crutches um, properly um, and start thinking about your recovery and that we'll see you in the next few years back at your very best because you obviously are a really talented runner. I hope all the knowledge I've got here is really going to help because now I can see so much that I've done wrong um, and I feel like if I just sort of had faith that I could go back to that lower mileage and um but I never did go back to what worked for me really which seems stupid um mm-hmm. I just saw these other math and was like oh they do like so many miles I need to do that many miles but it doesn't work for me I think I think my body just doesn't like a lot of miles really they just get slower if I do a lot of them yeah. and you know what I think having talked to quite a few people now especially in, in the running community you know there are those people yeah absolutely the people who can absorb 100 mile weeks week in week out yeah cool there are people like that but I think by far the majority have like that sweet spot around 60 70 miles a week and they don't need to do any more you know you're plenty fit enough to run a good marathon off of that and if five miles more a week breaks you well then you shouldn't do them yeah definitely and it's just so toxic where you get into these like 
comparison competitions who's you know like the whole who's run the most miles this week in my club on Strava sort of thing where everybody's looking and oh look she did 80 miles a week I need to do 82 and it's like (laughs) oh my god really it gets really really toxic and that's my resolution for when I finally get back to running is that I am not going to get involved in any of that ever again So hopefully we'll both have learned something for the future. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for this, Haley. It's been so interesting hearing your story, especially from the perspective of somebody who is such a good athlete. And um, I think we all will look forward to seeing what you can do and when you're when you're healed and healthy. Um, so thank you very, very much. Can you let us know where people can find you on social media if they're interested in following you? Oh, God, this is quite hard now because I've also stopped using all my social media <laughs> to try and just, like, disconnect from all that stuff. Oh, um, well, it's not compulsory. You don't have to. You know what, though? Um, My website that I work for, um, uh, I guess I, like, if anyone is interested in having me as a coach, like, I, I offer coaching. Maybe you won't now you've heard all the mistakes I've made. but um, I think I think those mistakes would make you a better coach. <laughs> if you look at the website Runners Connect, um, I work as a coach for, for that site. I also do my own podcast, um, the one of the Runners Connect podcasts, uh, which is called the Runners Connect Extra Kick podcast. I am on that. Um, uh, all the coaches do, like, a week every four or five weeks so every four or five weeks I'm on I do my own podcast on that which is just where we answer like common running questions and queries um uh or talk about something that we think is interesting uh so that's the run uh runners connect run to the top extra kick daily podcast um and I'll link I'll link to all of these in the (laughs) in the show notes yeah and uh runners connect um I'm a coach on there uh we we offer personal coaching if anyone would be interested as having me as a coach (laughs) absolutely no and I think that anyone who has experienced themselves of of, of suffering from red s and is coming back you know having somebody like you as a coach who understands what they're going through and understands the, the the predicament that they're in I think would be invaluable so yeah definitely if you're if you're a runner and you've had an experience like this and you want somebody to help you who understands then absolutely get in touch with Haley. I think she'd be an amazing coach I'm a lot better at coaching other people than I am myself <laughs> <laughs> I think we all are yeah. and other people um I I actually did some work experience with a physiotherapist recently because I'm actually looking at going back to study physio alongside my coaching next year because I I just I just want something else as well as running um and when I did the work experience all the physio said to me we can treat other people but we can't treat ourselves (laughs) you just you don't have that um you need to sort of be outside the situation to be able to treat it absolutely yeah no that's very true well thank you so much for your time um and i'm sure people will find this podcast really useful i hope so (laughs) thank you for listening to the red s recovery podcast i hope you found it useful please like and share on all of your social media platforms and help me reach more people by subscribing on your podcast host of choice. I hope you'll listen to more podcasts as I release them and I look forward to speaking to you again soon.